Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 60 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Sicilian Wider. And I'm joined here by my rollicking co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a man with skeletons in his closet right next to his Louis Vuitton, a man <laughs> who was always playing cat and mouse with the alphabet boys. I'm talking about the Sri Lankan lumberjack, JJ. <laughs> hey, brother, what's going on? No, man, doing well, man, doing well. And our guest today started from humble beginnings as a young immigrant escaping war-torn Iran with his parents to founding his own company. He launched PHP Agency, an insurance sales, marketing, and distribution company before he turned 30. And he's went on to create one of the most recognizable media brands, Value Tainment, with 3 million subscribers alone on YouTube. A man who's interviewed more of the rich and the famous than Larry King. I'm talking about Patrick Bet David. Patrick, how's it going, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? Oh, Patrick, I'm doing great, man. Uh, you did one of my favorite interviews of all time. And I'm not just saying this because you were on, you know, obviously being Italian, uh, being a huge lover of mafia content, as you know, so many are. Uh, the interview you did with Gianni Russo was not only hilarious, but it was uh, almost unbelievable, the claims that he was making. And you saw it in your face, too. Like, you, you were just like, no way. I don't know if to believe him. What are your takeaways after, uh, you know, after that interview? Well, I told him, I said, if 10% of your stories are true, you've yeah. lived an incredible life. If 10 per not, not even 100%. If 10% is true, you've lived a great life. Dude, oh, it, it, incredible from Marilyn Monroe to uh, the cartel was after him. J just insane. Nuts. Um, so just a reminder to listeners, if you guys would like to trade alongside JJ and myself and a supportive community of traders, join us at microefutures.com. Patrick. So you, uh, you went to the military afterwards, you found work with Morgan Stanley. How'd you find yourself in the finance industry? Met a girl named Jean-Vierre and she mm -hmm. and I met at Venice Beach. We started dating. She would take me and pick me up in a different car every day. And I'm like, wait a minute, how do you have all these cars? She says, well, I'm a financial advisor. I said, who with? She said, Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter. I said, how do I get a job there? She said, well, I went to UCLA. I said, I'm not going to school. She said, they won't hire you. I said, okay, so I went and uh, back then it was faxing your resume prior to the whole monster, all this other stuff. It was faxing your resume. I made a resume on the cover of my resume, my cover letter. I put the best joke I had because my resume wasn't good enough. My resume had Haagen-Dazs, Burger King, uh, Bally Total Fitness, military, and that was it. So I, I send in uh, uh, the resume with the best joke on the cover. I said, look, if you want a winner on your team, call me. And I said, uh, you know, the way you feel right now after reading the joke, if you laugh, that's exactly how my clients are going to feel. They're going to love me. If you want someone like me, give me a call. I faxed it to 100 different places. Morgan, Merrill, Schwab, Goldman, even Goldman. I thought Goldman was going to hire me. Um, you know, every one of the big names, Smith, Barney, every one of them. I got 30 callbacks. I got 15 offers for an interview. I got three job offers. I started off a day before 9-11 with Morgan Stanley Glendale. And uh, got my 766, 31, 26 life and health. Year later, I decided to leave Morgan. I went to Trans. I was with them for seven and a half. Then October of 09, started my own insurance company and grew it from 66 agents. We just crossed 20,000 agents in 49 states with 150 plus offices nationwide. Incredible. Incredible. Do you remember, Patrick, do you remember what the joke was that you put on the resume? I do. I do. So I said a father sits down his three sons. And he tells his sons, when I die, I want you to drop 
$1,000 in the casket in front of everybody out of respect for your father. And the boys committed to it. Well, the day comes, dad dies. First son gets up there. He drops $1,000 bills. Everybody cries. Second son goes up there, drops $20, $50 bills. They cry. Third son is a financial advisor. He goes up there, writes a check for $3,000, takes the $2,000 cash and walks away. <laughs> you get the commitment. The commitment. You got two thousand dollars cash out of it, so they there thought it was go. funny. Uh, you gotta love it, Jay. Even just how you got into the industry uh, was unique. Uh, it seems we find this a lot, right? Uh, a lot of people that make it aren't, aren't uh, you know, from the uh, collegiate backgrounds, huh? Exactly, brother. It's how bad you want it, right? Yeah. In life, it's all about how bad you want it. I got, I got a please F off letter, a PFO letter from every brokerage firm in Vancouver. And um, I just kept pounding and pounding. And I finally got my job because my buddy was dating one of the guys who was the head trader on the U.S. desk. And when an opening came up, um, I would harass this guy. And he was Italian, Dom, right, Mr. Armani. And I would <laughs> harass his ass every, every time I saw him. Right. I need a, I, you know, get me a desk, give me a job. I'll, I'll be a janitor at the firm. I don't care. Right. And uh, finally, uh, he was like, JJ, you want in? We got a spot. You know? Yeah. Love to hear it. Patrick, you made a recent video where you made a case that we're in a financial bubble right now. Could you surmise for the listeners the case that you made? Yeah. So it's it's a it's a group of markers that you look at on what's going on. One of the things is the interest rates. If you go back and look at the Federal Reserve on how interest rates have looked since day one, we've never had the rates be less than 1% for as long as we've had them. So even we've had 90 days where it was less than 1%, maybe 30 days it's been less than 1%. From the day Barack Obama got elected in 08 till 16, he kept it less than 1%. Then Trump came in, he kept it less than 1% till 19. I think 2019, we hit 2% and then COVID hit. We went again less than 1%. And today, we're still less than 1%. Last week, they raised the rates just by a little bit. The market tanked 600 points. And uh, it's basic math. Rates are high, property value is low. Rates are low, property value is high. I mean, we've been having a very high uh, valuation for real estate for quite a long time. And I don't think that's going to be changing until he said, I'm not going to raise it above 1% until 2023. I don't foresee it being above uh, uh, after 2023. I think Biden and uh, the Wall Street uh, folks are going to convince them to delay till 2024 so it doesn't hurt the re-election mm -hmm. so folks have till 2023 2024 again that's my opinion and then if you look at the pe ratio and a shiller pe ratio you're looking at the pe ratio on many of these companies that's ridiculous you go back the last however many years the typical pe ratio is around 15 you know 17 and you got uh, tesla being at 1200 you know which is insane <laughs> even amazon is at 76 but uh, Tesla being at 1200 and say, hey, this is an $800 billion company to the point where even Michael Burry, whom people call nuts, they call him crazy. The guy called Big Short, where he would go on and say, hey, here, let's buy some uh, CDOs. Let's buy some. And oh, you're what an idiot. We'll give him 300 million. We'll give him 200. All his investors are like, what are you thinking? The market's about to crash. The market's about to crash. And then boom, look who made the money and who didn't. So Michael Burry's not a lightweight to go around making the claims that he makes. So even Schiller PE ratio, it's never been the, the only other time it was this high was when we had it in 2007, uh, 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 2001. We know what happened to the market. This is the second worst it's ever been, second highest it's ever been, which means everything's overvalued. I mean, I'm a baseball card guy. I got a bunch of cards sitting here. 
I got a bunch of Griffey's, Bonds, rookies. I got all these things. I just bought a Zion Williamson card for $350,000. It's, you know, wow. his best card in the world. And that card, I, in less than four weeks of buying the card, is already worth $600,000. I mean, that shouldn't be the case. Right. I mean, two fifty dollars on one card, a Michael Jordan rookie card that sold 11 months ago for $48,000 is what it was worth in the market. This is after the last dance. So people already watched the last dance. It was worth 48. The card just sold a couple of weeks ago for $738,000. No card should go from 48 to 738, Oof. knowing there are 300 1986 Jordan Fleer PSA 10. So that's going to go up to being a million dollar card, but will it stay there for a long time? I don't know. Yesterday on Luka Doncic's birthday, Luka's rookie card just sold. If you guys are familiar with this Hannes Wagner card, the real Hannes Wagner card of this, this sold for $3.2 million. Just yesterday, Luka Doncic, he's been only playing basketball for two years in the NBA. He's 22 years old, never won a championship, never won an MVP, just a great player, but never had any kind of milestones. His card sold last night for $4.5 million. Holy it's cow. Most expensive card ever sold. This, we're talking about higher than Hannes Wagner. High, high, I, I sold a... Wayne Gretzky card just a couple months ago. I bought it for $540. Uh, two of the cards I bought for $540,000. I just sold the cards a year and a half later for $2,010,000. I made $1.5 million in 18 months on two hockey cards. One of them sold for $1.3 million. So, so the point I'm trying to make to you is there is there is a, there's too many signs right now of easy money being made. And people have to be prepared. You know, Buffett's sitting on a lot of cash ready knowing what's going to happen. And the reality of it is like right now, I just came back from looking at a house. I looked at this house, beautiful home, $25 million, their asking price. The owner was a very wealthy billionaire and his invention is something, all of you know what it is. He just passed away. So his kids put the house on a market for 25. So the house has got a pool on the first floor, three pools, first floor, a pool on the second floor, nine bedrooms, 14,000 square feet, 350 feet waterfront view, right? And we're talking in Boca, prime location, but it's on 0.6 acres of land. And then I'm looking at another house. That's the fourth biggest lot in Boca, right? The fourth biggest lot in Boca doesn't have the, you know, exotic modern home, but it's on 1.7 acres. One is on 0.6, 0.7 acres, beautiful luxury modern home. The other one is on 1.7 acres, nice home, still a 12, 13, 14,000 square foot home, but not the same but I'm buying the land because you can't build more land. The, the, the idea of keeping gold, land, stuff like this, cards, it's just whatever you cannot reprint more, the value is gonna go up because we just made another 1.9 million, $1.9 trillion of debt that we're sending out. And don't forget, out of all the money ever printed in the history of America, let me say this one more time, out of all the money printed in the history of United States of America, 20% of all the money ever printed was printed in 2020. That's ridiculous Yikes. thinking about this. Leap of lizards. So a lot of this stuff is going on at the same time. And I'm not uh, uh, one that's sitting here saying I'm an economist. I'm not Milton Friedman. I'm not <laughs> Laffer. I'm not any of these guys that say I'm not Arthur C. Brooks. All I'm saying to you is, you know, when you see certain trends taking place, you ought to keep your eyes open and just be ready for it. For sure. Now, now working on, under this assumption here, Patrick, that we are in a bubble, how is this going to affect your investment strategy going uh, going forward? Like, what type of adjustments will you make? 
Well, I mean, uh, uh, worst time to buy a house. It's just the reality of it. I'm buying it because I'm buying land. I'm not buying a house. I'm buying land. So big difference. If you're buying a house because a house is sexy, someone's going to tear it down and rebuild it. If the land is a small land, no one cares how big, how sexy the house is. So if you're going to buy anything, buy land because we don't have more of it, not a house. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Uh, gold, hedge a portion of your money in gold. If you don't know a lot about cards, then don't even mess with it. If you do, put put a small percentage into it because you can't you can't reprint another. Look, there are three Mickey Mantle PSA ten cards, nineteen fifty two tops. Yeah. I know who owns all three of them. Okay, it's three different people. One of them is owned by the owner of Arizona Diamondbacks. You know what he's asking for the card today? A PSA ten is the highest. It's like gem mint. Do you know what the asking price on that card is today? Thirty. Thirty. Not 30,000, not 300,000, not 3 million, 30 million dollars for one card. Why? It's since 1952. You cannot reprint it, right? So solid land. Companies that you're looking at that are value companies that you know what they produce isn't a myth. You know, you have a a certain, I'm still hedging myself by having a little bit of cash to be prepared for opportunities that are going to come up because they're going to come up. Uh, and then obviously there's a lot, don't get me wrong. I'm still 42 years old. So I'm still, if I'm investing long-term, I'm not really worried about what's going to happen to the market. You're still doing dollar cost average and you have to kind of look at the age. If you're 65 years old, don't have more than 35% in equities, make sure you're protecting your money because the other 65% needs to be in some secure treasuries, 35% you can play with it. I'm still 42, which means a hundred minus my age 42. I can be 68% in a market and I'm fine. And I'm even higher than that because my Money is a long-term play. I'm not playing for the next three, five years. I'm playing for 20, 30 years. So for anybody that's looking at it for the next three, five years, brace for impact. But if you're looking at it for 10 to 20 years, uh, it's a different ballgame. But regardless of it all, there's never been a better time to create wealth. I'll give you my timeline, how I made my money. 2001, I worked at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter, day before 9-11. 9-11 happens. Dave Kirby, my manager, sits me down. There's five of us there, me, another guy named Shaq, Ed, all these guys, Glenn. And he says, guys, I just want to tell you this. Uh, the next two, three years are going to be terrible to be in the financial industry. It's going to be very difficult. Nobody's going to pick up your calls. People don't want to put money into the market. It's going to be all this other because they think it's war. It's going to be bad. He says, but if you can stick around five, 10 years from now, these 76 million baby boomers are going to start turning 55, 65 years old, and they're going to transfer their wealth to the next generation It's between 41 to $130 trillion, according to Boston College. You stick around, it's going to be good for you. I sat there, everybody could. One one guy went to work at a bank. One guy went to say, hey, you know, at the bank, they give you the clients. You just convert into variable annuity and you make your 1%. It's great. That's what we ought to do because we have a database. You don't have to call call anybody. I'm like, nah, I don't know if I like that. Long story short, I stuck around. 9-11-2001 made me my first million. I was 22 years old when I got in. So I capitalized off the timing. Second time, 2007, when whole Nina, I don't know if you remember Nina, no income, no asset, all stated loans where you're buying a house, the loan officer would ask you, so Mr. and Mrs. Jones, what did you make last year? Oh, we made $52,000. Let me ask this question one more time. Mr. and Mrs. Jones, what did you make last year? Uh, We we just told you $52,000. Do you guys want to get approved for this loan or what? We do. Can you like, seriously, let me try this one more time. Mr. and Mrs. Jones, how much money you made last year? 93. Mr. And Mrs. Jones, what did you make last year? 128. Perfect. First of all, congratulations on getting this $720,000 loan. Like, but we can't afford this. Yes, you can because of negative amortization. 
When that happened, there was a guy in the valley, in San Fernando Valley by LA, making 400 grand a month. He shut down his 30,000 square foot office. And I said, oh shit, something's about to happen. 60% of all realtors didn't renew their licenses. 60%, they left. Everybody was calling themselves a real estate investor. They, everybody would give their cards. What do you do for a living? I'm an investor. Just because you buy a house at $400,000, you sell it at $700,000, you made $300,000 equity, that doesn't make you an investor. That just means you sold your house. That's all it is. But everybody was an investor. Well, when the market crash came in 08, I made my first 10 million in 08. Fast forward, Trump gets elected. Everyone's afraid. Oh my gosh, fake news. You know, Trump, Russia. What's going to happen to America? The guy's an entrepreneur. He's going to set up the tax system in a way that benefits job creators. Everybody else was afraid. We put our head down. I made my first 100 million, 200 million at that time till 2020. And then now you've got the next one that's coming up. And I think many people will miss it, but we're going to have a lot of accidental millionaires and we're going to have a lot of accidental billionaires in the next two, three, four, five years. Watch how many no-namers will become names in the next two, three, five years because they position themselves properly. So I believe it's the greatest time to create wealth if you position yourself properly. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Love to hear it. Since we mentioned some of the trading cards, and something I planned on asking you. I don't know if you've been seeing these digital trading cards, the NBA Top Shots, uh, the NFTs. Uh, it's exciting. I like it. I'm pretty high on the future of it. Uh, what I don't know if you've been following it, and what are your takes if you have? It's, it's a generational battle. And, and the benefit I have is I'm right in the middle of the two generations. So I'm kind of like a... Yeah. If you're in your 40s, like you're right in the middle, you're emotionally connected to, you know, physical cards. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, these physical cards, you want to look at them and appreciate them. And you know the value of them. Right. But you're naive if you don't realize the direction crypto is going. I mean, you have to be naive if you don't think that's the direction we're going. So emotionally. This is more emotional to hang on to. This is emotional. It's tangible. You're touching it. Right? Like, oh my gosh, it's it's fun to hold on to this. But logically, that's gonna it's gonna go that direction. I mean, people are naive if they don't think that's gonna be the direction. However, a lot of people are gonna lose a shitload of money because they're gonna think they know what they're doing. A lot of people are gonna try to get their get rich quick stuff, and that's the fastest way to lose a lot of money. Some are gonna get lucky, just like there's a lot of decamillionaires from Bitcoin who held on to their money. I salute them because they stuck around, they kept their money, they were patient. Still, they got lucky, nothing wrong with that. But it is the direction we're gonna go. You're naive if you think it's not gonna go there and you're too cocky if you think these are going away. These are not going away because cards are not going away. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. I, I, I love the, um, I always like when something new comes, uh, Patrick, because it mm -hmm. creates an edge, it creates some opportunity because like you said, when people have no idea what they're doing, um, it's just an exciting time. You've interviewed some financial titans over the years. Uh, whether you've you know, interviewed one of them or not, is there anyone who really stands out in your mind um, who you really look up to from the financial industry? I like Arthur Laffer's, uh, uh, the Laffer curve on how he explains what happens when we tax people above a certain percentage, which is about 33% when you tax them above 33. There was a lady in LA who was a top realtor. Her picture was everywhere, all the benches. Everywhere you went, you saw her picture. One day, I go into Wood Ranch with my wife and I see her. And I said, I haven't seen your face lately. What happened? You were everywhere. She says, yeah, it's a long story. I said, I, I got a minute, you can tell me. She says, uh, well, I used to make $400,000 a year income. 
And then all of a sudden, I notice in the state of California, my all-in taxes, I'm paying roughly 57% with taxes, Obamacare, you know, all this stuff that added together. I just realized it's not worth me working to make $400,000 a year income and have to tax more than half my money. So I decided to be a homemaker. I sat there and I'm like, wow, high taxes forced her to be a homemaker. So instead of empowering women, high taxes actually did the complete opposite. Hmm, maybe high taxes isn't that good. So that kind of made me think about, you know, what Laffer talks about. I also enjoy talking to Ray Dalio because Ray Dalio, when he and I had a conversation together, it was an interesting conversation together. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things. China, obviously, is one of my biggest concerns about where China is. At. A lot of people see it as an opportunity. Obviously, there's a lot of money to be made in China. You're seeing DJ Dwayne Johnson doing a lot of movies in China. You're seeing a lot of Hollywood. Mulan, you're seeing a lot of folks invest. NBA, they're careful with China and Hong Kong. It's technical. Maury, he said something. All of a sudden, hey, James Harden doesn't want to play for you. Be careful. This, you know, mm -hmm. it's a very, very interesting time. And we have to pay very close attention to China. They're five years away from being the most dominant force in the world, the way they're growing. Uh, so there's a lot of different characters I talk to when it comes down to money, but those would be two of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, that Ray Dalio interview, that was awesome. All right, Patrick, I got some miscellaneous questions here for you before we wrap it up. What is a innate strength of yours that's giving you an edge in business and media? Um, I think it's just know my next moves. I really think that's it. I think that book right there, I wrote your next five moves right up here. I wrote it a few months ago and um, knowing your next five moves. I, I told a story earlier today where I don't know if you've ever seen Elon Musk's interview when he cries. It's like 10 years old. It's a 60 minute interview. If you've never seen it, you got to watch it. Just put Elon Musk interview cries, go watch it. Right. And the guy's asking him a question and he says, how do you feel about a lot of these guys looked up to? that are saying these types of things about you? Does it hurt your feelings? And you see him, he can't even answer, he's crying, yes. And then you see Lamusk today, he's pushing the SEC, he's challenging Bitcoin, he's challenging everybody in business, he's challenging Governor Newsom, he's negotiating with China, he's bullying Jeff Bezos, he really could give a shit. He's telling Putin, can you go on Clubhouse with me? I mean. So, so how does this happen, <laughs> right? How does this happen? How does this happen? Well, um, in the marketplace, these are four things I experienced. There are some that make fun of hard work and they say you just have to work smart. And there are those that say you got to work your ass out. I came from a school of thought of working your tail off because my dad was a worker. I was in the military. So I realized I can beat most of my competition by working my ass out, but it's not enough. There's a lot of people in America that work their asses up. They only make 15 bucks an hour. So that's not enough. So then second thing I realized, uh, most people will only read 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe 100 business books that are like everybody reads, and then they stop. And I said, no, I'm going to go 2,000 business books. I'm just not going to stop reading. So I started reading. I'm like, oh, interesting. I didn't know. Oh, interesting. So all this stuff, half the stuff you don't even know that you read, they're stuck in your brain. You don't even know where it's stored because your brain's a computer, but it's stored in here, right? You can't say, oh, I got this one, this book, that book, this book, because it's stored, right? Okay. It gets exactly. credited to 2,000 books you read. But that's also not enough. You got out work, you got out improve. Third one, you watch Zion Williamson right now playing basketball and they keep losing in the fourth quarter by one point, two points, three points. They should be winning those games. How come they don't know how to close that fourth quarter? That strategy, that comes with experience. 
So number three is having the better strategies and that comes with wisdom. So how do you surprise the marketplace? How are you predictable? How are you unpredictable? They interviewed Napoleon, they said, whose strategy do you duplicate? He says, nobody's because that's how I surprise everybody. Gotta love that, great. But there's one last piece that it gives you the kind of confidence that words can't describe. I don't care if you look like Brad Pitt, you have the body of Phil Heath, you got the you know, voice of Barry White. I don't care who you are. This last one develops the kind of confidence words can't describe. And that is learning to outlast your competitors. See, most people are eventually going to get tired. And that's such an exciting thing. Because if you know you're going to outwork, out, improve, out, strategize, and you're just not going to stop, who the hell is your competition? A very small community. Very, very, very small community. So you ask me the edge is for me to get clear on who I want to be, the kind of a life I want to live, and then come up with the next 15 moves for, to help me get there. That's why I wrote the book, Your Next Five Moves, because I share my strategies in that book. But if you look at Elon Musk's swagger right now, He's clear on who he wants to be. He's outworked. He's out-improved. He's out-strategized. And now he's outlasting his peers. Yeah, yeah. Love to see it. You broke that down beautifully. Excellent. Patrick, what book has inspired you to rethink one of your core beliefs or assumptions? Uh, Hypomanic Edge is a book I read seven years ago, maybe like six years ago. And Hypomanic Edge talks about folks who are manic, folks who are ADD, folks who are you know, uh, uh, you know, personalities a little bit like, you know, interesting one minute you're meeting him this way, another minute you're meeting him this way. It's like, well, what, what is going on with this guy? You know, it gives you a certain edge that is, um, I read the book and I said, you're normal, you know, because that, that book, you kind of, you finish the book and you say, we're going places, buddy. We're going to be all right. So <laughs> hypomanic edge. And, and the other one to tie with it, if you're going to buy hypomanic edge, you also have to buy first rate madness so first rate madness hypomanic edge will definitely entertain you and for the right readers it'll give you a lot of confidence yeah excellent there we go you've done you've done a plethora of mafia interviews cartel interviews <laughs> uh, the, the subject of organized crime is clearly a very popular one why why do you think that is for me or for people? Just for people, because it's, it's, this yeah. is something I've always thought about, right? Because I do too. I love mafia content. All the mafia movies, shows, Sopranos, all that. I love it. Uh, clearly, everyone does. A lot of people do. It's, it's some of the best content we've seen, movies, shows. Why do you well, think, think about it? When you and I talked offline, you said your favorite author is who? Robert Greene. What's his biggest book? 48 Laws. Of what? Power. 48 Laws. Power, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's all about power plays. I mean, you know... Uh, uh, your next five moves. Move number five is master power plays because the more you move up, the more you're going to experience with more qualified bullies. Bullies could be very friendly here, but they're not friendly behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. Bullies could be very nice in front of you, but the moment you leave the door, they're making three calls to make your life a living hell. And the more you go in the marketplace and you're taking market share away, don't think these other people are happy you're taking market share away from them. It doesn't matter whether it's more eyeballs, more exposure, more money, more wealth, bigger success. You're all officially entering crazier competitors, right? So the next level of crazy competitors comes with you knowing better strategies. So the whole mob world, whether it's Michael Franzese or Frank Collada or Sammy DeBulgarvano or any of these guys, 
so funny. I'm in Boca right now. There's a lot of mobsters here. So when they run into me, they're like, hey, you're the guy. I know who you are. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I just do the interviews. No, no, you're more than a guy. I hear you're connected. I said, I promise you, I'm not connected. I'm just a businessman. Okay, that's what we hear. I'm like, no, I'm just a business guy. But uh, I get along with them. You know, to me, I think a lot of the principles apply to business. The only difference is in business, you get killed, meaning you're put out of business. In a mob world, you get killed. You are not put out of business. It's permanent. Like you're gone. You're banned from living in this world. So the price is a bigger price, but a lot of the philosophies, unfortunately, apply to sports, business, military, and every aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Uh, JJ, he's, he's down there uh, chilling with uh, Uncle June. <laughs> <laughs> and the Sopranos, that's what we talked about. I'm going down to Boca. Love it. All right. Uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick, last question. And it's a personal one from me. How, how have you gone about improving on your process as an interviewer? I'm just very curious. You know, I'm, I'm very curious. I uh, do a lot of research. I, when, when you see my interview notes, I don't know, there'll be 20 pages of notes. And some of it's done by the researcher, but most of it is done by me. I watch uh, many of their best content. I come up with questions that I would come up. Let's just say the interviewer is going through asking a question and the guy answers. But the, I just came up with a follow-up question and the interviewer didn't follow up. He went to another topic. I'm like, what are you doing? You're about to get to it. Go, stay there. And they go completely drift away. Mm -hmm. um, I stay. So I go a little layer deeper and a little layer deeper. And I think, uh, you know, that's probably what it is. But the biggest part is you got to enjoy it. I have a lot of fun uh, interviewing the right. You will know if the interview is ever shorter than 45 minutes, you'll know. I was not really mm -hmm. that interested. But if you notice the interview goes longer, I am really curious about what this person is doing. Right, for sure. So curiosity and just preparation, for sure. Mm -hmm. Patrick, it shows, man, you, you have some of the best interviews out there. Really, really enjoy it. And so that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review it for us. If you like to trade alongside JJ, myself, and a supportive, fun community of traders, join us at microefutures.com. Patrick, um, for the listeners, you let them know where they can find you. Anything else you want them to know? I think the best bet is... <clears throat> Go get a copy of this book, Your Next Five Moves. You can find it on Amazon or local Barnes & Noble. And then to find me, just go on YouTube and type in the name Patrick Bed David or send me a tweet at the same handle, Patrick Bed David, which I'm sure you guys will post below as well. Yes, we will. JJ, parting words. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. We really uh, love it and really love the energy too. Uh, I've had a really good time with you guys. These are good questions you're asking. I had a good time. Right. Ray, Ray, Ray has become a hell of an interviewer. I got to say, I got to give a big, big ups to Ray. Cause when we, when we started this show, um, man, he is, uh, just, just gotta say brother, nice, beautiful job. Beautiful I appreciate job. it. I appreciate it. I learned from this guy right here, Patrick, appreciate it, man. Um, just your, your determination, your hustle has been, uh, inspiring the way you conduct your business. I know not only to me, but to many. So it is a big honor for you joining. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me guys. All right. All right. So for Patrick, bet David, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop so. Good night.